East Iceland turbo, an undulate ray, gritty with a strong, pungent aftertaste. Three pounds and upwards. Curious. That was a fishing trip around the British Isles with a dinner forecast issued at 2200 hours today, the 34th of October. Internets or 
television and certainly no computers. We had to make our own entertainment. Back when I was a slip of a youngster, the thing to be into was radio, as that was the big thing of the day. In the beginning, they were quite simple things. A few bits and bobs of wire, a magic crystal or two, and no batteries required. Oh yes, ecological we were then. But eventually they were made using electricity, which was still quite new, and valves. And I got rather good at not only mending them, but also designing and building my own. And as it turned out, I, I got a little bit too good at making them, and eventually I created one which could tune into the past. That's right. I could actually tune into and go back to the past. And through hard work and good fortune, I still have one of my magic radios right here. And this one is called Rodney the Second. The first one blew up, don't you know? Long story, another time. But as my regular gang know, the best bit is that I can travel anywhere that I like from the comfort of my big, old, squeaky leather armchair. That's lovely. And we'll be taking a trip together very soon. Would you like that? Oh, that's dandy. First, though, I thought that I might highlight something very curious. Can you hear that? Hmm? Do you know what that is? Listen carefully. It's the sound of no fire. That's right. In true paradoxical Zen-like fashion, you are listening to the absence of my usual crackly coal fire. And do you know why? Well, for the first time since last October, the weather has been so kind that I've not been feeling cold at all for quite some weeks now. And as Mrs. Jiggery is away in Swansea for a few days, staying in a static caravan so she can visit some friends, apparently, I've been given the run of the house. She's my housekeeper, she is, Mrs. Jiggery. Well, I say housekeeper, but she's more than a nanny, really. Couldn't do it out, I can say. It's usually her that lights the fire before she pops off for the night, but uh, this weekend, well, I just let it be, along with the washing up which I saved for her. <laughs> the other thing which caught my attention in the last week or so is the huge moon. Did you see it? Just a day or so after the summer solstice, the moon was at its closest to Earth and appeared almost five times bigger than usual. Properly called a peregrine moon, this phenomenon is not unusual, but it's always startling. Astrology defines the description as, as, as foreign or alien, and it is said of a planet which is positioned in a sign where it possesses no essential dignity. Hmm, I'm not so sure about that. When it comes to astrology, I'm afraid that I'm with my old chum Paddy, the late and great Sir Patrick Moore. On that one, where he declared it poppycock. If you don't believe me about the super huge moon, uh, just recently, uh, you, you can Google it. 
I'm not telephone or whatever it is that you youngsters do these days. <laughs> anyway, well, with, with a midsummer's day and a super big moon on our minds, I thought that I'd kick things off with a little music from my huge collection of 70 PRM, the 80 PRM, RPM records. This old record, very old records. Here we go then. This is from the top of the pops from the year 1910. Yes, really. Over a hundred and three years old is this record. But it was a smash hit of the day for a singer called Ada Jones with a banging tune all about the moon. Uh, here we go, Poppikers. Not off.
shows have been dubbed spider-on-the-wall documentaries as they chart the everyday events of people's private lives. During the course of the series, we hope to document the changing face of Britain as told by the ordinary people of these isles. Come with us now as we take a glimpse into the life of Arthur and Joyce Backhouse from Keithley in Yorkshire. Yeah. 
A family walks into a talent agency. It's a father, mother, son, daughter and dog act. The father says to the talent agent, We have a really amazing act who really should represent us. And the agent says, I'm sorry I don't represent family acts. They're a little too cute. The mother says, Sir, if you'll just see our act, we know that you would want to represent us. And the agent says, Okay, okay, I'll take a look already. First, the mother and father face each other with outstretched arms, and the two children lever up between them. From a standing position, each child makes a backflip and lands perfectly into their parents' hands. They wobble slightly, but then thrust their arms into the air in triumph as the first part of the balancing act is mastered with fair. The dog, meanwhile, which has been sitting obediently between them, now trots forward and with a single bound, lands on the daughter's shoulders. Without missing a beat, the son also makes an astonishing dive, cartwheeling through the air, over them both and landing squarely on the father's shoulders. The mother now steps forward and crouches with her back to the father, eventually assuming a position on all fours. The father now flexes his muscles and propels the daughter, who had been assuming a variety of neoclassical poses while balanced on his palms, so that she lands directly on the shoulders of the son as she spins the dog on her index finger with demonstrably expert juggling skill. Now that the tower is almost complete with the dog perched on top of the daughter's head, as she stands on the shoulders of the son who in turn is now standing on one foot of his father's head, the father slowly begins to move towards the mother. He takes a tentative step onto her back and walks slowly up her spine until he too is resting on her shoulder blades. The mother, then in a single display of astonishing strength, forces herself into an upright position with her arms flexing outwards, assuming a perfect recreation of Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man as the family tower slowly gyrates above her. The daughter then produces a small violin from the folds of her dress and throws it up to the dog, who catches it in its teeth and begins to perform the violin concerto by Schoenberg, using only its back leg. For a long time, the agent just sits in silence, his mouth agape. Finally, he manages to stammer, That's one hell of an act! What do you call it? The father leans forward and with a flourish announces, The Aristocrats! I don't know if you know, but that joke is one of the rudest jokes known in show business. Uh, and if you don't believe me, all you have to do is Google the aristocrats joke and see what you can find. So, so thank you, Captain Ants, for sending me clearly the cleanest version that I have ever heard of that classic joke. <laughs> Thanks for writing in. <laughs> well, Captain Ants, I'm now going to see if I can find that program all about Scarborough that I mentioned earlier on my big magic radio view. There's a program which visited there, and it's called Arting About with David. 
It gives us David Hacker, the famous artist from Bradford, as he goes out and about giving art lessons on the radio. You know, there was a lot of that going on in the 1950s. There used to be a program called Educating Archie, and it featured a ventriloquist called Peter Bruff and his puppet Archie. Now, that has to be the easiest gig in the world, doesn't it? <laughs> if you think about it. Anyway, here it is. I think I found it. And after we had an art lesson, it's story time. But first, let's go through the flat cap shaped speaker. Stephen? Um, I'm not sure. There you go, then. 
thank you very much, Mr. Bender. Much obliged. Right, let's go sit over there on that wall and watch the rolling waves for a bit, shall we? Right, go, David. Right, right. Movie. That's 12 and 6. You better give me a 10 dollar note. You know, Stephen, that the inhabitants of the town here are generally referred to as Scarborians. The people from Whitby call the folks here Algerinos. This comes from the time when there was a boat called the Algerino and it sank not far from here. The lifeboat crews of Whitney came to save the drowning crew, while the local Scarborough lifeboats didn't. And so sometimes they're referred to as Algerinos. And Scarborough gets called Algerino land. I bet you didn't know that, did you? No, I didn't. That's the lifeboat there. Look, bobbing about in the harbour. He's probably on the lookout for people in a spot as bother. You know, to make up for missing that other lot. I'm just going to take a photo of that for later. Uh, put it in my reference scrapbook. I know what would make a nice painting. What's that then, David? A rock pool. Let's find a sneaky, secluded place and see if there's any sea life just hanging about. Can I go on the carousel, David? No. The fairgrounds are for vulgar people, Stephen. And we are artists. Come on, finish your ice cream and let's have a wonder. Oh, all right then. This looks like just the spot to me. Aye, there's loads of light and dark here. Lots of little pools. And hopefully we might see some fish. Ooh, I wish I'd brought me net. Oh, you don't need a net, Stephen. You can catch the fish with your brush. Here, you take a perch there and get your tackle out and let's have a daub. Now, what you need to do is to mix it some mountain blue with some hooker's green. That's it. You could highlight all that seaweed. Then maybe a bit of oxide of chromium and some more Davies Grey. Plenty of grey. Hey, go on, splash it all about. That's right. You carry on there and I'll just get my flask out. But would you like a sip of tea, Stephen? No, you're all right. Ah, I'm just going to sit here and drink all this lovely Yorkshire thing. Hey, I do love Yorkshire, me. All this natural beauty splashing all about. The craggy cliffs and the rude coast. Ah, lovely. Oh, wait, Stephen. I've fallen in. Man, I can't take you anywhere, can I? He's not deep. Stop panicking, lad. It's very slippery. Come on, Hang on. Let me give you a hand. Don't hold it. You're chugging. Oh, heck. Oh, now we're both in the drink, Stephen. You big girl blows. Stopping about like this. Oh, hang on. There's something in my pants. Oh, I think it's a crab. Oh, he's got his claws on me. Get up, you little beggar. And I never expected to get crabs when I came to Scarborough. Here, see if you can get hold of it, Stephen. My hands are too wet. It's just wriggling about. Where is all the crab over the thing? Well, you can say that you like crushed up, David. <laughs> it's not funny, Stephen. In his cheeky tight. Hey, Joe, what's it doing over there? You owe me two and six. Let me try it. 
Oh, dear. It looks like we have to make a hasty exit, Stephen. I don't know about you, but I'm off back to Bradford. What is that, David? It's safer. Like remembering, 
After a while, I had no need for it. Every day I would rip up and down the scales with increasing speed until eventually I decided that I needed some expert guidance. Eventually, I was lucky to find a guy named Bernie Mitchell. He was an old pit player from the musical days who showed me the ropes of how to improvise. Old Bernie knew all the greats, Bird, Miles, Hawkins, Hodges and Prez. We had a great laugh together and he was free with his vast fluency of the vernacular. But then, the torment began to arrive. Each night, after I had devoted my hours to diligent practice, I was haunted by the most vivid dreams. Images that unfolded to me as if they were fragments of a life remembered. Stories of pain and solitude, yearning for release, misdeed and misfortune, and most overwhelmingly, a driven desire to change a past that I did not know. Outside the cell, the birds sing that chorus over the distant rush of the ocean, and I dream. The soft Pacific breeze warms my face and below the window, and in my eye I can see the milky surf stroking the beach, caressing its beauty in the gentle afternoon. And then there's Diane, laughing and turning, the wind in her hair calling me with her hand as we run free into the hugeness of it all. Night after night, the damned dreams haunted me, invading every second of every day in my memory, but I persisted in my new passion, and I became good at it. After a few months, I was confident enough to step up to the microphone in a few bars, and I quickly became something of much local talk. The jam sessions were easy, and each new tune they threw at me rolled off my back with a new confidence that I neither understood nor cared about. But after every gig, I returned to the darkness of my lonely life and replayed the visions which were becoming clearer all the time. Hermosa Beach was quiet that time of year, so I drove up to L.A. to get a piece of action there. Not much work around for a jazz player unless you're good, he said. But I knew I was, and before long, I was filling the place night after night. Never before in my life had anyone paid any attention to me, and now, for the first time, people actually believed in what I had to say. I'd always been cool. Ever since my father sat me on the bar and had me play my clarinet to the regulars, I was so good that they gave me the loose change from their pockets and asked for more. But later I knew I'd messed up. Sure, the drugs felt good, but why the hell do you think I took them? They made me feel like a king. There's nothing I couldn't do. But after they slammed me up in here, there's nothing I can do. The more I recalled these nocturnal visions, the more lucid my playing became. Man, your solos transport me to some place. I, I can really feel your pain, they'd say. But I didn't have any. If anything, I was happy for the first time in my life. Such was the extent of my ability to transform people. And myself, in that time, the people I hung out with began to believe that I had outgrown them. I was first aware of the enormity of what I was responsible for when I got a call from a close friend I had made. Freddie Roberts in town, and he wants you to sit in with him, he said. 
I knew that this was a massive leap for me, as he was a big name who would hit town with all his classes entourage and record label people in close company. I had to be on top of my game, so I decided that I needed a new horn. I took the old Martin Alto that I had got back to the pawnbrokers and with the wages that I had earned from scratching gigs from around, I bought a brand new saxophone. I had to show that I was successful and that old tarnished thing wasn't going to buy me any credibility that I needed. But on the night of the gig, everything that I had worked towards melted in my fingers. I walk out on stage to a capacity audience in the club with my best suit and a knowing glance. And Freddy was there, smiling at me, eager to experience the licks that he had heard so much about. And I leapt into the chorus, but as the chords unfolded, I no longer knew my way around the architecture. Each key change felt like a rock hitting me as it hit my consciousness and I fell into a canyon of unfamiliar notes and harmonies. Destroyed by failure and incomprehensible inability, I threw the brass ornament back into its case to the taunts and bewilderment of the audience. In the days that followed, I bore the stinging pain of embarrassment, only slightly less than the crushing confusion of consequence. I picked up the instrument a few times, but it never worked for me. No matter how hard I tried to bring life to its form, not once did it have anything of the breathing life force that I had known. In despair, I drove a few miles uptown and threw the damn thing off the bridge in contempt. But see, it wasn't easy after that. You shouldn't have sent me back. I never wanted to go back there. Not now. I tasted the solid wind in my face again, and it felt good. All those nights, the countless days waiting for that moment, and now, now, gone, gone. I had a chance to be great again, and you, with your blindness, lot better. I hope you know what you're doing, because I'm sure as hell I don't. And now, here I am, alone with my dreams. The slide into hard drugs was about. I'd made some good friends up in L.A., and I knew how to get high. It helped me get through the loss, and I was very methodical about my self-destruction. After all, what else was there to live for, now that the thing that had set me free was gone? I had tasted the sweetness of being somebody, but now all I had left was regret and a bitterness that burned. And for my troubles and sins, they slammed me up in here in this 6512 cell. Outside, the birds sing their chorus over the distant rush of the ocean. And I dream. There you are, then. Wasn't that a lovely tale? And I do hope that it gives you some lovely dreams. But, but, but as I always like to say, a true gentleman is one who knows how to play the saxophone but practices restraint. <laughs> well, it's time now to switch off the old magic radio and let it cool down for a bit. There we go. Yes. Uh, have you enjoyed your trip with me? 
Did you like all the adventures and music from stories? Would you like to take a trip with me again next time? If you would, oh, that's wonderful news, Nick. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week, and as much as it upsets me, I have to say goodnight in a moment. But there'll be more fun and games next time. You can rely on it. And I look forward to spending time with you all over again. But now, all that remains is for me to say to you all, Good night, children, wherever you are. Uncle Reggie's Magic Radio is a Corniche pastiche production. It was written and produced by J. Bramwell Slater, who will be appearing in Pilot Theatre's production of Blood and Chocolate at the Theatre Royal in York during October. Acknowledgements and credits go to the generous community at freesound.org, and you can get in touch with Uncle Reggie by visiting the website at www.uncleregismagicradio.tumblr.com. He is also on Facebook as Reginald Merriweather, and as well as Twitter at The Real Reginald. This program is broadcast on the last Sunday of each month, and you can hear the next episode on the 28th of July. However, there will be repeats the following Sunday, and eventually a podcast to download on iTunes by searching for Uncle Reggie, or visiting www.uncleregismagicradio.tumblr.com. In a moment, the last episode of the science fiction series, Surge. But now, it's very nearly 11 o'clock.